0: For tuning in today,
1: you are listening to WSCBN FM Ann Arbor. Glad to be with you. Hi, this is George Saunders. This is Charles Baxter.
0: I'm T Hetzel, and today in the studio we have Andrea Barrett.
1: This is Gary Snyder. I'm
0: Nami Moon.
1: This is Richard Price. Listen to Living Writers Wednesdays on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Eastern Standard Time. Conversation, and that's fine. We'll have fun. My name is Arundhati Roy. I should just say WC, WCBN-FM, right? Okay. Yeah. This is uh, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and uh, the revolution will not be funded. You're
0: listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Afternoon, you've got living writers. I'm T Hetzel. And today on the program, Jericho Brown joins me. Jericho, welcome.
2: Hi, hi T. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice. It's nice to be here.
0: It's great to it's great to talk to you. We're talking via Zoom. And this is the week you're here at Michigan for the Zell Visiting Writers series. Yeah. And, And yeah, I hope it's a good week. You've got the talk ahead and maybe speaking with students too.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I'll um I'll see students individually, I think starting tomorrow. And I will, yes, give a reading and I'll give a craft talk and I I mean, T, I guess I'm a little I'm a little sad. Um, you know, there are certain things you really look forward to. You know, you sort of hope that the the creative writing program at Michigan will invite you uh, to do Zelle one day. And sort of so in my mind, in my dream of that invitation, all of that happens in, in person. So wow. I, I don't, uh, it's a, I'm in an interesting position, you know, where I don't want to be, um, it's not like I want to be an ingrate. Like I'm actually quite grateful and really happy for this moment and really glad to be able to to meet these students and talk with them. But it is really a weird time um, thinking about not being able to have dinner with Linda Gregerson, who I love to have, have dinner with, you know, <laughs> oh. or um, or not being able to, uh, sit with students and talk to, talk with them about their poems uh, in person. Talking with, with students about poems over Zoom is something that I think I've learned to do uh, in a way that makes it work. But I also like to touch a piece of paper that another person is also touching. Do you know what I mean? And I, yes. I, I feel that way about poetry. I feel that um, we feel it when we read it. We feel it when we hear it. Um, obviously, we feel it when we're writing it. Uh, we feel it physically. I think it's um, much more embodied uh, than 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 we we uh, than we say it is. Um, and I think of it as somatic. And because I think of it that way, I also think of books themselves and little scraps of paper where you've um, had poems written for a very long time. I think of all of that as a part of the process. So you know, when a student, when I've marked a poem up and I can touch it and I can show a student where I've marked it, and they can touch those places too. I think something happens uh, that doesn't get to happen over Zoom, but I'm um, thankful for, obviously thankful for technology. You know, I think, um, I think a lot about the fact that, um, how glad I am that this didn't happen in 1990. So. Uh, um, We would have been in big trouble you know what I mean? So yeah yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, What would we have been doing?
2: Well, I think I mean I think the federal governments and um, generally many many not all but many state governments had very poor response uh, to this pandemic. And uh, one of the wonderful things about it being uh, uh, 2020, I think, is that though too many people died, I think less people died if uh, we would have been under the same kind of government influence. Uh, before technology, Uh, because of technology, I think we were able to get the word out about things even without um, help from federal and state governments in the way that it should have been, Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, completely. Yeah, thank goodness for technology. Although part of it is like wearing us down as well, of course, but it's Uh, also connecting us, like doing the job of that. Otherwise, we. I'm thankful to get this chance to to talk with you today yeah it's great and to, hear, yeah. and to hear how you are too like how can you um phyllis and where are you speaking to us from are you in atlanta right now yeah. Emory, or where where are you jericho
2: yeah i live in unincorporated DeKalb county um on the line between DeKalb county and uh fulton county fulton county is where atlanta georgia is i teach at emory university uh, what else did you ask me? Am I answering everything? What else did you ask me? Yeah, and
0: how are you? How are you doing in this strange time of COVID? And
2: um, yeah. I'm okay. I'm, a, I'm probably usually a little more bubbly. I'm a little, uh, I got my first um, dose of vaccine yesterday. Oh, that's and you great. Know they, so they tell you the next day you might just feel a little, um, not woozy, but just a little off. I don't feel bad, but I'm not fast. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm just trying to take it slow today. Um, and I, uh, other than that, I am getting better. Um, I had a lot of health issues that had nothing to do with COVID in 2019 and 2020. Um, many of which I had to go to the Mayo Clinic, uh, on three different occasions for once for a two week treatment. Um, but since that time, since that treatment though, T, I have to say, I feel a lot better, um, physically, you know, my health is much better and therefore, because My health problems, I was having trouble with my colon and my kidneys because my health problems are better. um, I feel better about dealing with the pandemic, but um, I have to, you know, I was, I was not the happiest camper in the spring of 2020. And in the summer of 2020, I was very, um, very upset. But I think I've been able since the new year, definitely, but um, probably since the fall to begin looking up uh, more and more. And... uh, you know getting something like the pulitzer prize i think did help with that uh congratulations yeah. with that. so it makes it very difficult you know when you get a when you, i mean you know uh somebody's probably thinking i'm being ridiculous when i say this it does make it really difficult to complain about anything <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, yeah. You know, I've been, I've been hoping to try and get me. I've been wanting pull a pulling surprise since I was eight or nine years old. Seriously, like when I heard what a pulling surprise was, I think I was in the fourth grade, and I was like, oh, I want one. And I thought maybe I could just go get one from Kmart or something. So now.
0: Totally. Blue light special. I'd be right right there with you.
2: Yeah. So now that I, now that I have that, I'm really, um I'm pleased, but it also throws everything else into a kind of contrast so that, um, so that when thing, when I get down about things, I'm like, well, Jericho, this is what you wanted. Do you know what I mean? It's just that I'm getting
0: life. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. And
0: health, health is like with, it colors everything. Yeah. And if you can't, if you can't breathe, then you can't, can't do anything else
2: yeah 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 but
0: but but the pull but going back for a moment to the pulitzer prize and such such a beautiful book jericho then what what was it like to have this this moment of the the prize like was it is it even something that you can kind of believe right away or or once it happens, is it well? Right, I've been waiting since I was eight. What took you so long? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, that's so funny. No, I didn't imagine that it actually would happen. I always wanted, uh, you know. I, I mean, I'm so I'm I'm an Aries, so I'm pretty greedy. Oh. You know,
0: <laughs> I know Aries.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't um, I don't like making I don't like making decisions. Not because I'm incapable of making decisions. I don't like making decisions because I don't. Um, I'm sort of, I'm a person who doesn't understand why I can't have everything. Do you know what I mean? So so for me, um, I wanted the Pulitzer Prize, but you know, I want all the prizes all the time. Um, and so there's a, but I don't expect to get all the prizes all the time. Uh, so uh, I, I'm real big on wanting, do you know what I mean? I sort of tell my students, you know, if it's something you want, go want it. Do all the things that would include it coming to you. Live the life of a person who would receive it. Um and, and that's and you know, build a life that leads you toward the things you want. Uh so but I was still in all yeah, I was surprised, man. I couldn't I mean I was really I was really very surprised. Um I think I'm still a little surprised. Uh am just really grateful and uh, you know, I'm glad for any recognition. This book or, or books before this. I'm I'm really happy for any recognition they get. When I was first writing poems, um, you know, I'm a Black queer poet, um, and I live in a landscape where recognition for my writing, uh, it just, when I first started writing poems, no one really imagined that we would live in a a landscape where, a literary landscape, where where Black writers, particularly queer Black writers, would be recognized in the ways that they have recently. and uh even the ways that they have recently uh, if we look at how the numbers really shake out even the ways that they have recently still turns out to look a little shady to me but um, not but, enough not yeah enough. not enough yeah but um, but you know me having me having the award isn't something i expected because you know my dream and i you know i sort of hold to this my dream was always to have a book because if i had a book then i was a poet and i had proof of being a poet because i had a book that i could hold up to say and everything else as we say in louisiana was lanyap. you know the second book the third book or any prize or award or recognition i always thought of that as extra you know and i still do and i'm happy to have the extra uh but it's way more than i ever dreamed uh you know i i actually um i actually love Recognition. I'm not shy about. I know I'm supposed to be a poet who says, you know, oh, I don't know, you know, it's nice. Uh, But I, you know, I'm pretty honest about that. I like it when people say nice things about my poems. Um, I like it when people say nice things about my shoes. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So, and I take all. I'm happy to have all that, and I'm I'm happy to give it too. You know, I want to say nice things about people's poems. I want to be a conduit through which. Um, recognition is made for other people. I want to say nice things about people's shoes. Um, I like shoes. Anyway, so 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 yeah, it was it was really surprising, um, but I also felt prepared for it, um, just because I had been on what some people thought of as a grueling tour. But I had been on tour for this book for like a year by the time. Uh, the Pulitzer announcement was made. I was actually called off a tour because of the pandemic. And I had been talking to so many people all over the, not just the country, but the world. You know, I had gone to Granada, I had gone to to Singapore. I was really, um, the book was getting a certain kind of attention that allowed me to really just calibrate myself to be able to speak on its poetry. Um, and obviously, you know, I got a degree in stuff. I got a couple degrees in the stuff, three, actually, when you think about it. So, so I can always talk about poetry. So I was ready, you know, and um, prepared. And I think that's, and I'm grateful for that, that, I, you know, I had things to say when people were asking me questions about, about my work and about poetry in general.
0: How long was the tradition in the making, Jericho, for you? Because you started writing this after being very ill with a flu. yeah
2: oh my god yeah well actually I started writing it before then I mean the Tradition is an interesting book. Uh, when we think about timeline, my last book before The Tradition came out, uh, The Tradition is my third book. My first book came out in two thousand eight. My second book in two thousand fourteen, I believe, maybe fifteen. The New Testament. The new, yeah, my Testament. my first book is Please. My second book is The New Testament, a title my mother's still angry about, <gasps> and um, <laughs> 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 um, and and yeah, this book came out in. So that last book, I think it was 2014. It might have been 15, but I think it was 14. And then this book came out in 2020, and, um, which means the last book must have been 15. So the New Testament comes out in 2015. Um, the tradition came out in 2020. So I guess that looks like it took me, took me five years to write it. right? But the oldest line in the tradition uh, is from something like 1999. Um, Because I don't throw anything away. So uh, one of the things, there are two different things that, well, maybe three actually things that were happening in the writing of this book. One thing is sort of the obvious thing that I think happens to all of us. And that is that I was uh, very steadily writing poems that one day I knew would end up in a book if I ever made another book. And that was happening when it happened. I write all the time. I mean, I write every day, but that doesn't mean I have a poem every day. Uh, But every once in a while when I'm writing, I'm like, Eureka, it's a poem, you know? (laughs) Um, And then the second thing is that I was really making use of everything that I have, everything that I've ever had, Uh, you know, from old um, diaries and journals to files of uh, poems Uh, that had failed, poems that I hadn't finished, poems that were drafts, and I was really trying to make use of things through juxtaposition, through fragmentation, pulling things from all kinds of sources, all of my original, all my own original work, and yet from different times of my life, and so I would have a scrap of a few lines from uh, two thousand and two, and I would put that under a scrap of a few lines from two thousand and twelve, and I would say, Oh, these go together, and I they go together because I say they go together, and i 'm the poet so that 's part of, partially the second way the book got done, but then the third way is just that um between um, I would say Thanksgiving of two thousand and eighteen and Martin Luther King Day of two thousand and nineteen, I was really just um, and I don't know how I was attacked, um, gratefully so, thankfully so, attacked by poetry. I was writing, I could not stop writing poems. I mean, I think I wrote, so, I mean, they're all. Not, they're not all in the book, but I think I wrote something like um, 38 pages of poetry <laughs> in that time period. I mean, and it wasn't all great, but I was day after day getting what would turn out to be poems that were very, if not done, very close to done, you know, the, in terms of revision, there was a lot less that I had to do. Uh, usually when I'm working on a poem, you know, I start a draft and if I write a draft of a poem and I work on it until it's done, that's probably about four years in the making. Uh, but this was the first time this ever happened to me. And so I was writing, I was pulling over in my car to write, I was writing in the notes app of my iPhone in um, elevators. I was, um, i was as as you mentioned i had the flu um over the holiday break we were interviewing people for a job and i was like trying to stay alive and i could not stop writing my poems in spite of being in all of the pain and aches uh that come with come with having the flu so it was very um it was a very strange time i thought i was gonna die really i did i would text my friends or call my friends and i would say i wrote another poem and you know your friends who know you over time understand oh you write poetry but they don't expect you to call them to tell them that every day and uh, my friend Michael Shoemaker my friend Maliki Black my friend Michael Dumanis, who read my work you know as I'm writing I would call them on the phone or I would send them an email with a poem and they're like well when'd you write this one I was like today I'd say today they say there's no way you wrote this poem today Jericho you know but that's what was happening and I was just um it was a most exhilarating time of my life um and i uh after it was done you know when things started slowing down again i was also kind of grateful for that uh, but as things began slowing down that's when i was working on the duplex. by the time things were slowing down that that sort of fevered uh spell of writing that i was under began to slow down by that time i had started writing the duplexes which is a new form that i created um, that's that's now in the book. And that form I invented, uh, where the those were the final poems that I, I wrote for the book.
0: When you were talking about this, like, I love that being attacked by poetry and this this feverishness. with thought, I guess I just feel like there's so many things to ask about that. You know, and maybe part of it is the Eeyore in me. Did you ever worry? Okay, hold on. I've got a couple of questions here. <laughs> the, the first thing, was anything different that you knew kind of opened you into this volcano of making right was there anything that was aligned because there's like you said you 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 know you write every day like you come to the poems every day you come Mm -hmm. to the part of the practice right but was there anything else that had shifted to open into this feverishness of the poem
2: yeah I think there were a few things I think chiefly um I think the major thing is that I had a new set of art um, that I had been exposed to and that I could make use of in my own brain factory even though I didn't know I was making use of it toward poetry. So for instance, um, the tradition could not have been written if the film Moonlight hadn't come out before. The tradition could not have been written if the book Citizen had not come out before. Um uh the tradition could not have been written if i hadn 't you know and you know when I think about where i 'm from, this is actually a really big deal to me but uh, if i hadn 't gone to the Biennale in Italy and saw all of the wonderful visual art that I saw from all over the world while I was there and discovered so many of the artists that I discovered um, uh, the tradition wouldn 't have been written if you know I, I was on a commission from a museum in Pittsburgh to write poems. Um, about an, an exhibit, and one of the um, one of the artists exhibited there were, was uh, was Titus Kafar, who I had never heard of before. Uh, but having seen his work, you know, things start um, calibrating, things start moving. Do you know what I mean? So I was writing under a, a set of influences that I simply had not had before. So I think that's the first thing, and. I was I think that the the next thing is just that I was as diligent um I was trying to be diligent you know sometimes I fall off but I'm pretty diligent about getting some reading done every day getting some writing done every day and about prayer and meditation I have to say when I start talking about this uh people want to turn the station so I'm sorry to do that to your show but yeah you know I, really I have to it. bring it on <laughs> You know um I think I was learning at that point in my life just more about what it would mean for me to be a spiritual being on earth. And so I was praying every day and I was reading something that was, um, that, you know, some people might think of as hokey, but that I was thinking of as inspirational. You know, I was reading Michael Bernard Beckwith and Ernest Holmes, uh, you know, along with reading poems. I was reading a lot of poems that I've read a thousand, you know, I was reading, I remember reading Paradise Lost, you know, I read Paradise Lost um, at least once a year, I guess, uh, I look at it, right? um reading the third life of grange Col- i've been reading the third life of grange copeland every year since i was 19 years old um so doing that kind of thing i think puts you in a position where you're open uh and if you're practicing then you have no no choice but to do the thing i mean there's also let me add to that There's also that you walk around, or I, let me be clear, I walk around with feelings about the world in which I live. Right? I walk around with feelings about my family, feelings about um, the government, feelings about what it's like to be a citizen in this nation, feelings about my own personal experiences with and relationship to police in this nation, Um, and then to, to feel that is one thing and then to see those things sort of acted out and um, broadcast over social media and over television is another because then this thing that is in my head becomes me built in another person that i see being murdered in front of me via somebody's uh cell phone camera do you do you know what i'm saying um and so that kind of thing and uh, not that i wasn't aware that those things happened Uh, I think the thing is being uh, face-to-face with them changes uh, the calling on me to write about them in a more direct way. Uh, You know, it's sort of one thing to talk about uh, police violence That's another thing to talk about. The fact that I really think of this book as a pastoral book. You know, This book has um, birds and trees and rabbits and grass and gardens and uh, many, many, many kinds of flowers. Um, (laughs) And uh, and my original intention when I was writing was really to write this sort of book for the natural world. Something else I feel strongly about and something else uh, I think I've inherited uh, in my ancestry, my family, they've all been people who work the land. Uh, and because of that, I wanted to write about that. Uh, but of course, I know more about that now that it's always coming to me you know, via Twitter, via television, via uh, other modes of social media, and via my personal relationships. It's one thing uh, to read about what's going on um, as it relates to how we are destroying our planet. It is another thing to be personal friends with people who care about this thing and are activists. Uh, in that effort and then suddenly you know my mind starts switching like well how do I become an activist in that effort Um, and one way that I'm not going to be an activist is organizing a march because y'all will go in the wrong direction I got a bad sense of direction you don't want me to do that kind of organizing but I can um, channel things such that I'm open So that the poems that need to come through me, come through me. And if the poems that need to come through me, come through me, they will be political poems. They will be activist poems. And I won't have to try to make that happen. All I have to do is concentrate on language. If I concentrate on language and keep living the life I live, uh, as long as I'm a black man, a queer black man from the South, uh, I will always have the experiences (laughs) necessary uh, to have something to write about.
0: It also occurs to me as I listen to you, this is your, your, this is your way of being like, this is, this is how you are. Like maybe, maybe the prayer and meditation isn't as big of a chunk today as it was a few months ago, or maybe it is the things that you're doing are all the same. I wonder after a fever like that of poems, do you worry that what if the, cause you want the fever to return, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think that fever will return. Um, and I'm fine with that. Uh, I, I mean, if it returns, then I'll attend to it. You know, I'll do what I need to do to, to usher it along. Um, but everyone, every, you know, I've written three books, which is not a lot of books, uh, uh, considering the fact that, you know, the people I admire most, they have more than three books, right? Uh, but, but I've written three books, and, and all three of them were written in very, very different ways. And uh, that's just the way this book was written. And I have to let this book be its own thing. And I sort of need to let go of that. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? So no, I'm not, you know, of course I get frustrated, but what, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a neurotic poet. You know, I'm, um, there's no point at which I am not, you know, I haven't written a poem in a long time, T. So I worry about it every day. Like, where's my poem? Where's my damn poem? I know I'm a poet, so where's my poem, you know? Um, And yet, uh, the same thing that, uh, you know, that sentence in itself, the same thing that that drives me, and that creates the doubt, also creates the confidence. You know, I say I'm a poet, so where's my poem? And I can also say I'm a poet, so I know a poem's coming. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, it's a little dry. The weather's well dry right now, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm 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 paying attention to things, and I'm watching things swirl around in my head, and I'm I'm writing what I can write for now. Um, but I'm also in no I'm in no rush, you know, me trying to make a book right now or even maybe trying to make poems, I have to write poems when I understand that satisfies me, when I'm sort of pushed, when I have the urge um, to do so. In the meantime, I do have to be trying, but if I don't make what is a complete and final draft of a poem in my trying, I can calm my tail down somewhere, you know, and watch um, I don't know House of Cards or something. I don't know. Like I don't. Know. Like I don't have to. It doesn't have to be. Everything doesn't have to be now. And my need to make everything now is really external. It's not internal. It's trying to satisfy a supposed audience that may or may not exist, or a supposed um, um, college college <laughs> college faculty or administration. Mm-hmm. That, that do you know what I mean? Or, or, or my press <laughs> or my editor. Or, um, trying to prove something to somebody else uh, I don't need to prove I mean you know I'm probably telling myself this is sort of a motivational talk right now so excuse me but I don't need to prove anything to anybody because I've known that I was a poet for a very long time and I need to write what satisfies. I need to prove stuff to me you know but right now I don't feel like proving anything to me I guess because I, <laughs> I haven't made a poem happen but you know there have been a few poems that come out since the book one of which I'm not so happy about, but some, you know, some other stuff that I, that I like. So, yeah.
0: So when did you know you were a poet? Was it when you were eight and you thought you set your sights on the Pulitzer? Or like, or was it even before you were eight? Or, or did, was it later?
2: Yeah, I think it happens in stages, you know, and I think it's like any other identity. You know, you sort of understand you know even in blackness you know you grow up around black people with a black family uh being black looking at a black person in the mirror every day but your understanding of what it means to be a black person becomes more and more or at least for me Uh, becomes to be black and to participate in blackness and to walk around with it and to understand that people are confronted with it when they see you, uh, that changes over the years. And I think that becomes more and more complete over the years. Right. Uh, So for me, I think being a poet uh, has been the same thing. You know, I wanted to be a poet when I was I mean, I I so I had no idea what it was, but I knew it's what I wanted. (laughs) I wanted to make whatever had been singing out to me in these books. I wanted to make that. And if that's what a poet was, a person who made what sung out to me in those books that I was reading as a kid, then I wanted to be that. Uh, But I think, um, you know, obviously I went to go get an MFA and I didn't really, I didn't feel like I was all the way a poet then. And then I got a PhD and I didn't feel like I was all the way a poet then. And maybe I didn't really think of myself completely as a poet. I was sort of a person writing poems, but I didn't really... I didn't really tell, I wasn't interested in saying I'm a poet to people um, until, until I had a book come out. And that's what made me more confident. And when people ask me what I do, I, I don't say I'm a college professor, though I am. I say I'm a poet because that's, I think, what I really am at the core of my being. And I think that is indeed uh, how I make a living, how I make my life um, and the reason I get out of the bed in the morning, you know, all of the responsibilities that I have and think of as, um, as big responsibilities, you know, say for the ones to my family, obviously, and and to friends, but, you know, my, most of my responsibilities grow out of the fact that I'm a poet. Um, and so I think, um, I think for me, that identity first started when I had a book and, um, it changes, you know, sometimes it, sometimes it feels far away it's sometimes it does still feel like something i'm working toward so how so um well it's kind of a thing you don't really so i'm very different about this and i don't want to be insulting when i say this so you know you just have to deal with oh that's jericho but you know, when I think of poet, I generally just think of, I mean, I, I do think about a lot of living people, my compatriots, my comrades as poets. But then, you know, there's that capital P poet, and then I sort of just think about a bunch of dead people. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And you sort of don't really know until you're like dead, which means you don't get to know, which is nice. <laughs> yeah.
0: can have benefits, right? Yeah, Not you don't know, have to.
2: Yeah, like, what do I care? (laughs) I won't, you know, there's this whole thing, you know, I get it. Like, I get this whole, like, drive toward immortality, Um, but I'm not so interested in it. Like, I'm interested in writing um, the best poems I can possibly write, given the influences I have in front of me and what I know, Um, using all of my imagination and all of my experience to write them. Um, all of the craft I have and all the talent I have. And yet, you know, I'm not out here trying to um, push myself toward posterity. You know, I do the things that you're supposed to do. I publish in journals. I say yes um, to readings like the one I'm going to give uh, for you, Mish. Uh, I I do the things that that I'm supposed to do, but I don't do that thinking about being dead. Or trying to run somebody's life after I'm dead, or trying to make sure I'm instituted in some particular canon uh, when I am dead. I mean, all that's nice, you know. Y'all can do that, please, if you're a listener and you want to institute me in a canon, institute me. But I, but you know, it's not. Um, I don't think thinking like that makes for good poems. To be quite honest with you, if you try to think externally about things, then you're going to write for people or for an imagination of what you think people want. Uh, and so I don't, you know, I don't show my poems to my mom and dad before I send them out somewhere because then I'd have to write poems that I'm ready for them to see. Uh, so that's my and, my, and that's my relationship, uh, not only for my mom and dad, but also for the future born. Uh, I'm not, um, I think about the future born and I think about um, acting in a way that I would want to see uh, but I uh, and I think about writing the poems that I needed when I was a kid that don't exist, but I don't think about um, these sort of, uh, I don't know, these uh, traditional, there's a tradition again, or sort of institutionalized uh, ways of being, you know? There, there are poets, you know, we have to remember, we just have to remember that uh, Emily Dickinson never won a Pulitzer and uh, Langston Hughes never won a Pulitzer and um, you know a lot of people just you know they're beloved because they're beloved and they always will be and they did not institute that they couldn't make uh, well you know Langston might have institu- Hughes, Hughes might have instituted that but, but they couldn't make that happen there's nothing that they could be sure of uh, to make that happen so you know I'm just trying to do my work really
0: yeah it's about the poems
2: yeah yeah but, you know, poems touch things, you know, yes, about the poems, but, you know, your poems are going to go out and touch things. You just don't get to manage what they touch. Oh, right. So I am not interested in separating my poems from familial activity. I'm not interested in se- separating them from political activity. I'm not interested in separating them for erotic activity. If somebody reads my poem, and because they read my poem, they decide to go on and give it up to the guy that they've been seeing that they haven't given it up to yet. Good for them and good for the poem. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, bullet points got shared a lot yesterday. Uh, a poem I wrote called Bullet Points got shared a lot. I, I noticed on social media yesterday uh, because of two reasons. Reason number one, it was the anniversary of the murder of Ahmad Arbery. And reason number two, a verdict came down about the uh, the cops who murdered, um, uh, Dan- who murdered in a, t- in, who tortured and murdered um, uh, Daniel Prude, and and so those kinds of things, I can't plan when I'm writing my poems. I can't plan that my poems are going to be used for that. As a matter of fact, it makes me when I see, um, I'm sorry, I get a little emotional thinking about it. When I see. Um, you know, when I'm scrolling through social media and bullet points comes up, I get scared because I know somebody's getting gotten murdered. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so I was really proud of the poem when I wrote it. And now I'm like, Lord, I never, I don't mind reading it. But I, when it comes to me, I understand how it's being used in the world. Um, but I couldn't have planned for that. I mean, and it's definitely not, I mean, if I would give that poem, I mean, and I loved writing that poem. I remember the experience of writing that poem. I would give that experience up if it means that I could have the lives back. Although I don't know those people. You know, I would love those people to be able to live. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, And I would give the poem, I would give it back to whatever ether it came from. Do you know what I mean? So, um, um, but you know, I wouldn't give, um, I wouldn't give the poems that inspire people to make love back. I want everybody to, (laughs) yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I wouldn't give those back. You know, I had somebody years ago, this was a very long time ago, send me this email about um, his relationship with his son. And he was sending me this email because of having read my first book. And I'll never forget, uh, I'll never forget, T, that feeling that I had written a book because that's what satisfied me. And that book, without me doing anything to make it happen, had done something in somebody's life. Of course, I want that for my poems, but if I try to manage that, if I try to administer that, then I will be busy trying to control the planet instead of writing my damn poems
0: right, right. and they wouldn't be they wouldn't be real, they wouldn't have Mm-mm. all the qualities that you talked about that Mm-mm. are in them and And it struck me that part of the, your way of making at this one point was to make use of you said that a couple of mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Like, like from things, the first line from 1999, Mm -hmm. to to make use of this. What, where did that come from? Like that, diaries, journals. Like, how did you know that there was something?
2: Yeah, I've kept journals since I was a kid, a really little kid. Um, It became clear to me, I probably first found out that you could keep something like a diary or a journal just by watching TV when I was a kid, probably something like the Brady Bunch. That seems about right, because uh, there weren't other people in my family who had them. But, um, and I didn't really have diaries per se, like I didn't have official books that said diary on them, I just had spiral notebooks. And um, I decided I was going to write down whatever I thought or would I write down whatever happened in that day in those little spiral notebooks, uh, big spiral notebooks actually, that I had. And uh, I found that it was this wonderful way of escaping my home life while living in the house you know if your parents see you or at that time if my parents saw me writing in a notebook they would leave me alone because they imagined two things one that i must have been smart like oh he's right he's six or seven or eight and he's just writing and sitting there wow do you know what i mean um And, you know, parents like it when their kids are exhibiting things that make their kids look smart and they also like it when their kids are occupied. So I was occupied. I wasn't, you know, beating anybody up or getting beat up or um, climbing any trees and falling out of them. Uh, I was, you know, I was doing all that, too. But I was also, I was also, uh, but in that moment when my parents would see me writing, they would think he's smart and he's occupied and therefore Uh, We're going to leave him alone. So it didn't matter if I was writing really horrible things about them. Um, I was. It was also
0: coping, a way of coping when. Because when you're little, nobody (laughs) wants to hear your voice.
2: Exactly, exactly. And I was really. um, It was this weird thing where I felt like, oh, it's okay for me to say what I feel as long as I write it down.
0: That's a beautiful thing.
2: And that became the law for me, like I understood very young that there was a language of chatter, you know, with somebody you don't know in front of you or behind you in the grocery store line, there was a language between people who were in love, there was language among family, there was language with my friends at school or in the neighborhood, Um, but that when you write, that was somehow language that you could not put in any of those other places. And so um, writing became for me the place where I could put the things that I otherwise would not say.
0: And did you? Was it a place of discovering what those things like finding out what you would say um, in the in the writing itself in the act of writing?
2: I think in the act of writing, it really just uh, it really just became a place where I could do two things. One. I could see what I said, so having said something i would i, I had to, because it was there, I could look back at it, and I would think about myself in a different way um, hmm. because I could begin to think about myself as a character um and I would say things and i you know I would try to yeah i I would write something down and I would try to make it different in my life or avoid it happening again because I had written it down and that helped me remember that it happened, I guess. Um, and then I think the other thing, the other thing that it did is that it taught me to write, like it taught me what it was like to make a sentence. Um, but that a sentence that would only be to me. So, you know, I was learning in school how to write, but I think I was learning in those journals what sentences were, what fragments were, when a fragment was, you know, for some reason, when I was writing in those notebooks that, you know, when I was eight and I was, I mean, this is probably that neurosis again, though. You know, they all have commas and semicolons and colons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. like
0: colons when you were eight.
2: Yeah, well, you know, when you first learn what a semicolon is, you can't stop using it. I was just, I was just throwing them everywhere. You know what I mean? One of my students actually recently, uh turned in a poem with a, bu- a bunch of semicolons. And I was very fascinated and very pleased uh and very proud of the student, but also of myself that I did not mark out any of the semicolons. So
0: <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> somehow <laughs> or
2: another the semicolons are working in that poem. Yeah.
0: Jericho, would you mind reading from the tradition? Is there oh. a poem that you want
2: well, to Well since read? I think Bullet Points came up, so I'll read Bullet Points Uh, since it came up in the conversation bullet points I will not shoot myself in the head and I will not shoot myself in the back and I will not hang myself with a trash bag and if I do I promise you I will not do it in a police car while handcuffed or in the jail cell of a town I only know the name of because I have to drive through it to get home yes I may be at risk But I promise you, I trust the maggots who live beneath the floorboards of my house to do what they must to any carcass more than I trust an officer of the law of the land to shut my eyes like a man of God might, or to cover me with a sheet so clean my mother could have used it to tuck me in. When I kill me, I will do it the same way most Americans do. I promise you cigarette smoke, or a piece of meat on which I choke, or so broke I freeze in one of these winters we keep calling worst. I promise if you hear of me dead anywhere near a cop, then that cop killed me. He took me from us and left my body, which is, no matter what we've been taught, greater than the settlement a city can pay a mother to stop crying, and more beautiful than the new bullet fished from the folds of my brain. Thank you,
0: Jericho.
2: Thank you, thank you, T. So kind. Thank you.
0: Thanks for choosing that one to read too. Bullet points Mm -hmm. because how how emotional it is to read. I would imagine it is to read bullet points.
2: Yeah, it's hard, right? Um, It is hard right now. Actually, um, thinking about thinking about these things and how these things don't seem to um, don't seem to change, um, no matter how much we cry about them. So, yeah, it's very sad. I mean, it's very it's very sad that the situation from which that poem arises is is a very sad situation. Um, but you know, poems are always vindication from any situation. You know, um, you know, Anne Sexton used to say, um, Anne Sexton, who committed suicide, used to say that the poem is the opposite of suicide. You know. So the the poem Yeah, the poem is always vindication. Um, it's always affirmation. No matter how um sad the poem is, the poem is always a voice speaking out in survival. You know what I mean? Every time you read a poem, that means somebody survived. That means you survived that means you survived. You know, uh the the thing that you have to be and that's why I'm saying thank you to you, you have to be open to that. You have to be as a reader Uh, you have to be open to whatever a poem can give you um and the more open you can be the more you can uh, read different kinds of poems i think the more aesthetically diverse you can be in your taste uh, and the more you can feel all day long you know what i love about poems is they put me in a position where i have to feel which is something that uh, i spent a long part of my life running from Uh, so it's nice to um, to actually feel my emotions, you know? Yes.
0: The tradition is a book that that makes you feel, makes makes me feel.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you. you got
0: um could we could we talk about some of the process? Because you created earlier, like it's when we first started talking, Jericho, you said that you and you did, you invented a form for Mm -hmm. this like in the tradition there's also a new type of container Mm -hmm. i've read about things that you've said about it like how you said there's these sonnets in the world and how and i'm and sonnets are often about love and (laughs) and as a believer in love how do i subvert the sonnet how do i make it Mm -hmm. a sonnet a jericho brown sonnet and Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and how did you know that you loved, because and you also worked, I think, at the University of New Orleans in the MFA program with a formalist. Mm-hmm. I think so. Mm-hmm. Is this is this how form kind of came? You collided with form at this stage, and then you've brought it because it seems like it's something you still value. That, that's yep. an, yeah, about language and form.
2: Yeah, you know. Well, um, the 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 first thing I think is that my 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 education as a poet sort of began. I mean, and maybe this is the case still for everyone's education as a poet, although I'm not so sure. There are still, um, in this world, more formal poems than there are free verse poems. I mean, uh, there still has not been a, enough time of free verse to pass where, uh, you know, the formal poems still win. Uh, if we, <laughs> you know, the, the formal poems reign supreme. I mean, free verse doesn't really. Uh, become a thing until the middle of the nineteenth century, you know, or so. Do you know what I mean? So I mean that's and that's the beginning of it, you know. Right. So it's 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 not even a thing then. That's like like let's try and see if we can make it a thing, right? So um, in the United States, at least, the beginning of it. Um, maybe maybe it's different in France. Uh, at, at any rate, um, the the way I think about the way I think about form, I think it just has to do with the fact that most of the poems. I come to poetry very differently from how most people might come to poetry now who are in my particular demographic. Like, I don't, you know, there was no slam when I was a kid reading poetry, if there was spoken word, which there must have been spoken word, like there must have been open mic nights still, even when I was a kid, but I was a kid, it's not like I was going to them. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so I come to poetry from the library and from school and all the poems that were in the library and all the poems that were at school, I mean, there were way more formal poems than there were free verse poems. I mean, the free verse poet that I think I was first... Um, that I think, I mean, the real person who I saw writing free verse poems uh, that I was first exposed to would have been Rita Dove, you know, and that was probably the fifth grade. So before that, you know, so that's 10 years of poems. And I just wanna say, oh, but that's not true because um, I I would have known Maya Angelou's poems and I would have known Nikki Giovanni's poems and I would have known those poems from church. Black poets are always being read in black churches across the country. Um, black churches are places where young people don't always get to be shy. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's this expectation that you'll get up and recite something at some point. Did and you so not? Did you all you the time, all the time, there was always a reason to be in front of people at church. And my parents were very active in our church. So there was an insistence that their children be active as well. Um, so, but I became aware of poems, understanding that there were formal poems and understanding that there were free verse poems so i think maybe there was just something in me that was naturally unafraid like now i think people are people because of free verse people have this idea that it's okay to be afraid of formal poems which is weird do you know what i mean like oh that's strange or that's hard or that's difficult where i didn't i just thought those were all poems and they all came to me at the same time so i don't have this big um delineation between that which is formal or that which is free verse. I think I'm a poet and I'd like to try it all. Um, you know, one of the things I'd really like to do is write a book-length poem. You know, I'd like to try it all. I'd like to do all of the things that I can possibly do as a poet. I'd like to do more things that I could possibly do as a writer. I'd love to um, get a play out there. I wrote a play but I'd like to like see it, act it out, you know. Um, I'd like to write a memoir. I'd like to write Uh, a more fully researched book, I'd like to write fiction if I could ever um, sit down for long enough and not get bored with myself uh, and tell a story directly, right? Um, You know. So there's a lot that I would write a short story, I would love to do um, all types of things, me making my, so yeah, I learned form from Kay Murphy and from John Gary when I was a student or how to write in form, I took classes where we had to write formal poems when i was their student at the university of new orleans um and they were just great teachers i always say that i'm um not necessarily a formal poem, a poet although her first book has a lot of form in it you know, I had all of, uh, I, I always joked that I had all of Louise Glick's students as my teacher. So she's sort of my grand teacher. She's my grandmama teacher somehow. Um, but, uh, you know, cause oh. Kay Murphy, K K Murphy had been Louise Glick's student. And then later when I was getting my PhD, Claudia Rankin was my teacher and, oh. and, and Claudia had been, um, Louise Glick's student as well. At any rate, um, yeah,
0: so she is your grandmother. teacher. Yeah,
2: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, So, you know, like, I'd like to think that my students are are her great-grands, but anyway. So, uh, so, uh, but at any rate, what what was important, what was important to me, I think, because I like formal poems, I get excited about them, um, and I get excited about their music. You know, part of what I love about formal poems is that they have a music, um, and I get excited about that music, and I think what I really wanted to do Uh, when I was inventing the duplex is to add to that, to contribute to a new kind of a music, Uh, but I wanted to contribute in a way that played directly toward what I already knew about form. And so that's why it is uh, a kind of um, amalgamation of the sonnet, the hustle and the blues poem. Um, I really wanted to take these different facets of various forms and in so doing, take different facets of myself and put them together and see what I could get. And the duplexes were all written um, around the same time because they were sort of a project where I was really, uh, which is not like me, you know, I'm usually writing the poem that's in front of me because that's where I am in the Word document. Um, but I really sat down and decided uh, that I was gonna finally fill out with words, with lines, this form that had been swimming swimming around in my head. So the duplexes are, are poems that were written um, based on a form that I didn't know would work. Uh, I had been thinking about uh, the duplex as a form like, oh, I would start here and I would end here and I would repeat here and in the middle, this would happen. I was thinking, oh, maybe the words will end the same. Maybe they won't. Like I was thinking about all of that for probably about 10 years before I actually, (laughs) um, before I actually ever finished a duplex. I just never tried it. I just had the idea in my head. And then after I had, you know, been writing the book, I realized, oh, that's the next thing the book needs. There comes a point at which you have so many poems that you know you're working on a book. And the duplex became the thing that I understood would be the end of the book, the last poems, the things that would make the book whole.
0: How did you sense that? And how did you know that this type of form, this structure of what it would take or get, get from you,
2: right? Partially because of that... Um, what we called earlier that fevered way in which I was working. When that fevered way began to slow down, I understood that I had a certain kind of energy that I didn't need a fever for. Do you follow what I mean? Because I had been, I was so excited. And, um, and I used the word exhilarated um, earlier. Uh, I, was, I was so excited that I, looking back at what I did have, I could see, oh, I finished a book. I could see the poems singing out to each other, even though I hadn't put them in any particular order. And I, there does come a point whenever you're making a book that you think, you know, 10 pages in, you write 10 poems, you're not thinking about it. 20, you're not thinking about it. 30, you're like, mm, I wish I could think about it. 40 pages of poetry, you're sort of like, wait a minute. What is all this about? Like, this got to be about, this has themes, right? Um, so. Uh, by the time I had written all those poems, I was starting to organize them, and I was seeing that there were holes narratively and thematically um, in family life, and maybe I could use the duplexes to fill those holes in, um, that there were certain holes uh, about uh, personal history. Also, uh, I also wanted to make duplexes, you know, the, one of the last duplexes, maybe the penultimate duplex in the book, is more humorous. And I just wanted to try this form on different modes, right? Uh, something that was completely lyric, something that was more narrative, something um, that was as the final duplex, as is a syntho, take, making use of all the lines from all the duplexes. So that's, that's the kind of thing that I, um, I was thinking about when I was writing it. And I, I felt like because the book had come to me in this way, it needed um, these formal anchors that would definitely hold it down. in a a certain way uh, that you could get to duplexes as you're reading the book. um, And as you get to them, they become a more familiar part of the world of the book.
0: Would you mind reading another poem? Yeah, I'll
2: I'll read a duplex. Since we were just talking about duplexes. Duplex. I begin with love, hoping to end there. I don't want to leave a messy corpse I don't want to leave a messy corpse full of medicines that turn in the sun. Some of my medicines turn in the sun. Some of us don't need hell to be good. Those who need most need hell to be good. What are the symptoms of your sickness? Here is one symptom of my sickness. Men who love me are men who miss me, men who leave me are men who miss me in the dream where I am an island. In the dream where I am an island, I grow green with hope. I'd like to end there.
0: Jericho, thank you. I have loved talking with you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this has been lovely. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Um, Hopefully we'll be able to someday talk in person. That would be really nice.
0: I will, I will look to that. I'm looking
2: forward to that. I'm looking forward to that.
0: I know I said earlier that I never do this, but could you read Cento?
2: Yeah, I'll read that one, sure. I'd love to read it. Duplex, Cento. My last love drove a burgundy car, color of a rash, a symptom of sickness. We were the symptoms, the road, our sickness. None of our fights ended where they began. None of the beaten end where they begin. Any man in love can cause a messy corpse. But I didn't want to leave a messy corpse obliterated in some lilied field, stench obliterating lilies of the field, the murderer young and unreasonable. He was so young, so unreasonable, steadfast and awful, tall as my father. Steadfast and awful, my tall father, was my first love. He drove a burgundy car. Thank you, Jericho. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Today on Living Writers, Jericho Brown. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
2: Maybe I'm in love with you. Maybe I'm in love with you. I say maybe. Maybe I'm in love
1: with you. This is Noam Chomsky. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Glad to be with you. This is Gary Snyder. Listen to Living Writers Wednesdays on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Hello and welcome to Episode 9 of Wolverine Hockey Wednesdays. If you're here with us live, you are listening to 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. If not, thank you for tuning in wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, William Gregory, joined once again by Luke Beely and Kobe Siegel. I, I do want to apologize for... Last week's episode, uh, we got taken off the air about 15 minutes into it, but we're back here for a full half hour, fellas. How you doing? As Kobe gets his headset on. Luke, how you doing? Oh, man. I just had some popcorn chicken at this Korean place down here. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm waiting to have... Uh, we were talking about it before. I'm going to have some ground turkey tortillas yeah, after we oh, get off the air. Yeah, Sounds fantastic. Yeah, Perfect yeah. for uh, the freezing cold weather here. Kobe, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing fantastic. very happy to be here on this... <gasps> Wolverine Hockey Wednesday. Hey. Oh, yeah. Well, we had to call you guys back in because, unfortunately, Corey Perry called off. Couldn't be here today. He's having some uh, <laughs> extraneous circumstances right now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like I said, the weather's cold. We're going to talk some hockey. What do you guys want to start off with first? The what do we got? We got the wings. I mean, come on. Yeah, let's talk about the Taking wings. on the Rangers tonight. Um, I don't think we've been on since they went to Sweden, right? Because uh, it was two weeks ago now, no, 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 they've played against since then. Well, no, no, I mean I don't think we've been. Oh yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah, right. So they dropped both those games against the Sens and the Leafs, which was tough. Um, but then their past three games, they've beaten the Devils four to nothing, Bruins five to two, Wild four to one. Right. I thought we th- thought that the goal scoring, um, you know, the four goals a game that kind of were guaranteed in the early part of the year was gone, but they've heated back up, and I think it's not really a fluke anymore. They're 11-6-2, I believe, right now uh, in a spot in the wild card. The Rangers are a 15-game winner, so it'll be a big game uh, at MSG tonight. But is this the best